Hi, and welcome to the Happy Lawyer Podcast with me, your host, Catherine Shearer. I am a mom, a wife, a dog mama, a daughter, a sister, a personal injury and medical malpractice lawyer, as well as a wellness enthusiast. I have started this podcast because I have suffered from stress and anxiety, and I seriously considered leaving law. But when I got clear on what it is that I wanted out of my career, made some big changes, I discovered that law doesn't have to be depressing, anxiety producing, or permanently high stress. And I didn't have to be another woman that left the profession. So this podcast is intended to get the conversation started and to keep it going when it comes to the issues of lawyers and mental health, attrition rates in the profession, and the advancement of women in law. Today, I'm here with Hannah, the founder of The Expansive CEO and X Squared Wealth Planning. She joined me here today to talk about money and money stories, what they are, how they hold us back, how to release them, um, because a lot of them are coming up for people that are similar, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what we're going to be getting into today. So welcome, Hannah. Thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me, Catherine. I'm so excited to just expand the knowledge of, you know, what's happening, you know, the money story aspect, what's happening when these, you know, feelings and stories come up that limit us from having our biggest, brightest expansion in the world and our finances and in our businesses. So happy to talk about it. Exciting. Before we jump into some of that substantive content, Can you tell us a little bit more about what the expansive CEO is all about? Yes. So this is actually the second business baby uh, that has birthed through me. Um, It's the, it's the expansion of X squared wealth planning, where in my career, I have been in the financial services industry since 2006. Um, so I have really, and in like financial planning, even more specifically in, since 2007. So I started my career right at a big inflection point. Um, you know, the U.S. had the deepest recession since the Great, since the Great Depression from 2008 to 2010. Um, and I, so I really like honed my skills, I would say, like during one of the hardest times that we've had financially as a nation. And that experience, right, I carried that experience forward, I got to really see um, how we can either fold, capitulate under that amount of stress, you know, and what businesses do tend to, you know, not come through a recession successfully versus the businesses that did come through that recession successfully. And, you know, what were they doing? How were they using their money? How were they using their time? How were they pivoting in their business to meet their clients where they were at, you know, during that space where they were able to make it through and keep growing. Um, And then that experience repeated with COVID super interesting, right? In 2020 through 2021, the businesses that had reserves, the businesses that had the ability to pivot to meet their clients where they were at were the ones that survived and are now thriving, right? Like there were, there were some businesses that really 
took off and there were some businesses that that really suffered during that that time um globally really and as i created x squared wealth planning i knew that when i moved out of the corporate side of finance and the like working in a big practice with lots of advisors i knew that i wanted to be super specific in who i was serving i wanted to be just so uh in my zone of genius around who i worked with and that is visionary entrepreneurs and so when i created x squared wealth planning it was you know i help visionary entrepreneurs build wealth with joy and with ease well visionary entrepreneurs need a different kind of financial planning than you know someone who just works at procter and gamble or GE or, you know, Cintas or any big company that you can think of, um, you know, where you have a steady paycheck and you get a bonus and, you know, things are just like steady and reliable. Well, visionary entrepreneurs need a different kind of support because our income isn't necessarily, you know, built the same. So how do we create that sense of stability even when, you know, on the outside, our income, our revenue can be, can fluctuate quite a bit. And what I realized from how I was working with my clients was that it wasn't just about how much money do you have? How much are you making? How much do you save X, Y, Z? What is your insurance situation? What does your estate plan look like? You know, all of the kind of traditional aspects that we look at with finance um, and with financial planning and traditional investment management, those were only, those were only an aspect. And when we really dug into what my clients needed in order to succeed, it was a lot more business, business finance, um, in the way that like, how are you approaching, how are you approaching how you create your revenue? In the world? How are you approaching how you generate income? How are you approaching and how do you feel about your offers? And like actually digging in to the income creation side and business coaching. So what I realized from that was that X squared wealth planning and the comprehensive wealth planning process is so important. It's it's a it's like the most you know, deep way people can work with me. And it's not for everyone. Sometimes people need this business development side first mm-hmm. before they can get to the comprehensive planning side. And so expansive CEO was that expansion of wanting more people to understand this process of discovery, alignment, and expansion to create the business of your dreams. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll pause there. That's, that's kind of the, the growth of how it came to be and how, how there are now these two entities that, that, um, support each other. Oh, that's so amazing. Uh, it really is to see like the two aspects of that. So like the traditional financial planning, which is always obviously very important. And I think something a lot of people tend not to do myself included. And then there is that, side where you're actually helping coach and develop a business so Mm -hmm. that you can really utilize that financial planning tool as well. 
So right. the, the growth and the, um, I'm almost going to use the word healing. There's a lot of healing that usually needs to go on before you can get to that growth level. Yes. And I would say even more than, you know, we we can talk about numbers and we can talk about data and we can talk about, oh, what, you know, how much are you charging and what, you know, what do you love to, what kind of programs do you love to do? And I mean, I work with, I work with mostly service-based entrepreneurs and that can be um, people who, well, some of my clients are like fractional CFOs. And so they do like accounting and, and CFO work. And some of my clients are law firm owners and some of my clients are consultants. And, you know, so there's, there is a, a a range of how they work in the world, but it's similar in the way that they're mostly serving people, right? It's a, it's a business that serves other people. And so there are different, you know, methodologies of creating income as a service provider in some way, shape or form. And we can talk about how do you work with people and how do you create, you know, an offer for, okay, this is how I do my fractional CFO work. This is how I charge. This is my rate, blah, blah, blah. And then when a client comes in that doesn't quite fit your model and you feel like, oh, should I help them? Or I feel bad charging this amount or, oh, they haven't paid me in two months and they're ignoring my calls and then they're asking for help that I feel like I should still be helping them. Oh, interesting. None of that was about like the data and the numbers. That was all, that was all money story coming up. That was all internal, emotional uh, material coming up that if we look at that piece of it, Oh, interesting. You're you're serving a client that's not paying you. What's coming up in that space? Why are we doing that? That's where we can start to shine a light on the patterns that we run that keep us from building, like actually building a business that feels good, where we're serving clients in the best, most um, most expansive way. And that is the healing process when we heal those pieces that that, you know, that come up in the course of serving clients. Mm -hmm. So with that, that's a really good segue into, you know, what is a money story? Mm, I say that a money story is any, anything that comes up to tell you why you should or shouldn't spend money, use money, on yourself in some way, shape or form. So a recent example um, is I have a client who is so conscious. Um, She's, I adore working with her. She's amazing. She's a consultant. She's doing beautiful things in the world and she's about to have a really big birthday. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a milestone birthday for her. And she's having these feelings of, I really want to celebrate and then I feel kind of bad spending that money on myself. And I said, oh, that's interesting. When we look at her financial picture, everything looks great, right? There's no no piece of her financial picture that says, yeah, you shouldn't go have a fun, big 40th birthday bash mm-hmm. and create that experience for yourself. And yet the story of, 
ooh, why, what's coming up underneath that's telling you you shouldn't do that, that's feeling, that's feeling like you don't deserve to, you know, celebrate yourself in that way. And that was the exploration that we got to go through for her to, to like connect back to her childhood story of what it meant to celebrate a birthday, what it meant to celebrate yourself even. And it, is it okay to spend money on yourself for something that's not needed? Like that's a money story. That was a big one actually. Do you find that money stories often um, are associated with being able to spend money on yourself or are there other versions of money stories? Oh gosh, there, there are a lot of versions of money stories that typically boil down to, and so that's the thing is that it typically comes down to, do I deserve this? It comes to a point of self-love and self-worth almost, almost universally, like it, it'll show up in a lot of different ways. And so that's the interesting, you know, like there can be all these little tunnels to the surface, like down to self-worth and self-love. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the healing really that takes place is, is more in accepting and loving whatever aspect of you is having that experience at the time. Another example that I can give is, you know, sometimes it's, mm, no, that's not even true. It's almost always someone else's voice also Mm -hmm. when we boil down to it. So that's the other aspect of, you know, is it, you know, should I hire another employee because I'm, I'm like on the verge of burning out because I'm doing too much work okay, an employee is going to help take things off of your plate, but you're not hiring them, right? You're consistently like, I'm just going to keep doing it. I'm just going to keep doing it. I'm just going to keep doing it until I'm ready to just, you know, flame out and get sick. And, you know, all of the, all the things that can happen when we push ourselves too hard. If we take a step back from that one and say, okay, what's holding you back from hiring that person? Even when, you know, if we look at the financial picture, again, we look at the data and things look fine. Like you can support this, you know, even a part-time person to help take some of this off your plate. Revenue is good. You know, all of that, the money story, right? What's the money story that's coming up? It could be, am I going to be able to keep bringing revenue in? If I hire this person, am I going to be able, like, is it going to, money going to keep flowing? Well, let's dig deeper under that story too. How, you know, what's what's coming up? What's coming up? And a lot of times that story boils down to I have to do it myself because I had to rely on myself because nobody else would take care of me because I'm not worthy. Mm-hmm. Like all of the step, like you just keep going down and it's still and so the 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 piece of you that wants that love and comfort again is i am worthy of having support that allows me to be in my genius it allows me to do the work that actually you know that i actually love to do i i am worthy of that support mm-hmm. yeah i see what you're saying there 
And I really like the, um, the little tunnels to the same place because that really describes what's going on there quite well. I think mm-hmm. everybody can visualize that, um, that it can seem like something unrelated or quite different, but it all boils down to the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I could take a guess, but I'll ask you, since this is your job, where do these money stories generally come from? The the money stories typically originate in very early childhood, and then they're reinforced at other inflection points in our lives. So the way I like to explore this with people is to, you know, when something is coming up, you know, when we notice here's a situation happening, right? Like with one client, it was the birthday party with another client. Like those were actually client examples. Another client, it's hiring um, when they need to hire. When we dive into what's the, you know, what's the money story that's coming up right now? We, We go through kind of a little meditation process of, you know, how old are you? How old is that piece of you? And typically it's pretty young. On the birthday party example, it was like, like fourth or fifth birthday party. And that's because in that, in the subconscious and, you know, neuroscience aspect, we are forming our our neural networks from age zero to seven, right? That's when neural networks are exploding. We have all of, we're taking in information from zero to seven, just constantly taking and taking and taking in information. And anything that's coming at us, we just accept as truth. Like this is how the world is, right? This is how my world is. So this is how the world is. And it's at age seven-ish, right? Right around there, seven and eight, where we start trimming down those neural networks into, you know, what we're actually going to keep, you know, moving forward within the world. And so that, that setting, it's like, it's like we set our baseline money stories in that time as well, that age zero to seven. So for me, I'll give an example from, um, from my life because it illustrates it really well. Uh, my parents were entrepreneurs and um, not like um, why, I don't know the way I call it. It's like they were, they were like blue collar entrepreneurs. They worked really hard. You know, they owned a repaint business. So they would paint the inside and outside of people's homes and, and different things like that. Um, and we lived in Phoenix, Arizona, where it was 120 degrees in the summer. Uh, and it was hard work. It was, it was hard, hard work. And, when I was really little in the business, we were just starting to build the business. Money was extremely tight. Like I didn't ever really own new clothes unless they were bought. My grandparents bought them or, um, you know, we were on food stamps for a while when I was a child. Like we, we, my dad worked three jobs. He had the business and then he worked two other jobs to like make ends meet for a long time. And my message that I received when I was little, since that was in my zero to seven period was we barely have enough money for what we need as a family. And I sure cannot ask for what I want. Like there's not enough. When I ask for what I want there, it's not okay. And so I 
did not feel financial stability. I felt very unstable, even from a very young age. And what that turned into that was really interesting is that um, when I did, you know, grandparents or aunts or uncles like give give money for birthdays, I was the 10-year-old who had hundreds of dollars in savings because I would save every little bit of money that I would get um, because that felt like control. Like I felt I have this, right? I'm creating this stability for myself. Loved counting money, loved saving money, all, all of that. And when I first went into the workforce, um, I was, you know, I wanted stability. That's what I wanted. Stability was the most important thing to me. I wanted a, I actually wanted to be like one of my dream jobs was to be a bank teller. <laughs> like, that's, okay, I'm uh, just laughing right? in the background over here because as a kid, I did the same thing. Anytime there was birthday money, I would like square it away and like every time it was like birthday money or chore money, it went into my savings. And I think I, I was ridiculously young when I had my first bank account. Mm-hmm, same. And I absolutely loved putting money in the bank and just having money in the bank, not spending it on anything, just keeping it and growing it. And mm-hmm. then the same thing, I used to play bank all of the time. I would be playing, you know, with the money and typing in the numbers on the keyboard that was not hooked up to a computer. Yeah. And yeah. then my first job when I was in high school, I was a bank teller. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, that your experience could come from a very different, you know, very young childhood experience. Um, but, you know, it kind of manifested in a similar way, which is so fun um, and interesting. And so for me, like that stability was really important. And at the same time, I also have an insanely strong entrepreneurial drive. And so that like my parents, my, my brothers, my uncles, my grandparents on both sides, like entrepreneurs, every, almost everyone in my family. And I was pushing that away. I was like, absolutely not. That did not feel safe. That did not feel stable. I don't have examples. I had maybe one or two examples of successful entrepreneurs in my family and everyone else was like, struggling for most of their lives. And so that did not feel safe to me. And it wasn't until, you know, I had experience after experience push kind of like pushing me out of the nest, almost like try it again, try it again, try it again. Um, until I finally knew that I had to launch my own businesses. And part of it was understanding how deeply um, important it is for me to help other small business owners create stability and safety and wealth for their business and for their family. Um, and so my money, my own money stories boiled down to that feeling of, I can't, we barely have what we need. So I can't have what I want. So I can't, I can't spend money frivolously on myself. Mm-hmm. If I can justify it for a business need, or if I, you know, for my kids, like if they need one pair of shoes, I will buy them three pairs of shoes. Yeah. And for myself, I'm like, I need a new pair of athletic shoes and I, I can't get myself to go buy them. And so that for me, that's the money story. For me, you know, it's the like, I, 
I need to, I need to, not even going to say that. I have the opportunity to continue to nurture that little girl that wasn't allowed Mm -hmm. to ask for what she wanted and say, we're good now. We're good now. We can do this. You're, you are allowed to, you are welcome to have things that you love just because you love them. Mm-hmm. I think um, a lot of what you said will probably resonate well with people, especially um, when you're talking about being able to spend money on other people or businesses because there is a justification. So if you need to buy something for your business, well, that's just justified. So it's no big deal. Mm-hmm. Um you want to buy things for your kids or your spouse easily accomplished. But when it comes to purchasing things for yourself, there's like that feeling that I shouldn't be doing this for some reason. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people just ignore that and then brush it aside and never kind of explore why that's happening or how that's impacting the rest of their lives. So can you get into a little bit about how these negative money stories can hold us back? So the word that came up when you were just talking about, um, you know, not, you know, be, being willing to spend money um, on everyone else, on your business and not on yourself. The thing that uh, I, I talk with most about clients is resentment. Because that's how it ends up showing up. And it can either, it can be, the practice truly is to catch it when it's small. Mm -hmm. When it's like this little residue of resentment. Because when it's, when it's small, just like anything else, we can deal with it more easily. It's when we do this for years and years and years and decades and a lifetime that's when the resentment builds so strongly that it takes a her- almost Herculean effort to heal it and to see it and to move through it. And so this is such a perfect example of it as well, because um, I, I think a lot of people do relate to it where, you know, we expect, um, we'll say like a, a spousal partnership, Right. If you have if you have a spouse or a long term partner and you are consistently giving to them and never allowing yourself to receive and never, you know, taking care of yourself in ways that feel good to you, you are then like after a while you start to say, Man, I am just giving to everyone else and nobody freaking cares about me. Mm-hmm nobody will give to me the way that I give to them. And when I look at that now, first I first of all I have so much compassion for that for being in that space because it does feel so exquisitely painful to come to that realization that nobody else is giving to me the way that I am giving to them. And the other, literally the other side of that coin is nobody can, nobody can give to you mm-hmm. the way that, uh, that you give to others. The only, the only person that can, that can pour into you that, that fully is you. 
And so if that's the, that's the self-love, that's the self-worth, that's the filling up our own bucket and then learning. I feel like this is, this is like our generation is, is embracing this so strongly, this, this aspect of filling up our bucket to give from the overflow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If, If we allow ourselves to love and give to ourselves every, you know, just fill up our own cup, there's so much abundance that it will overflow. And then, you know, we have so much to give. We can give from a place of abundance to our spouse, to our partner, to our children, to the causes and, you know, charities that matter to us, to our business partners, to our employees. When we give from a place of abundance, that comes from loving yourself and learning how to love yourself and how to um, how to claim your worth and actually give it give it the same weight that you give to other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. What do you do in a circumstance where somebody comes to you? And let's use that employee example. They're getting to the point where they're really burnt out and um, really feel they would benefit from having somebody join their team. And they want to make that investment, but they don't know how. But when you look at it, the financials don't really back it up. How do you deal with a situation like that? Um, Is that money story related? Is that is, are there blocks that can be overcome? What's going on with that situation? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, there are so there are two aspects that are that are coming where I'm kind of feeling that coming through. In you know, if you have an employer, you're feeling super burnt out. I feel like okay, I should be bringing people on. Hmm, interesting, but the but the financials don't support it what that typically is in my experience and working with and working with again lots of different kinds of service providers is that you're doing things that you don't actually want to do or need to do and so the burnout is happening because you are just over overdoing some portion and um, this goes actually like perfectly into um, alignment. So in the inexpansive CEO, the main thing I teach is discovery, alignment, and expansion. And when we're talking about alignment, it's about aligning your energy. So the thing that actually, like the thing that lights you up the most, being in your zone of genius, um, aligning your energy and aligning your time and your money in support of your energy. It's so where this is where this is going is that if you're feeling burnt out and you're just doing so much stuff but you actually aren't making enough money to hire someone it typically means you're spending too much time on something that is not your zone of genius and you're not charging enough for your what you actually do the best in order to um have the financial abundance to hire someone does that make sense it, there, it's a two, it's a two-pronged issue of undercharging and over 
overgiving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, what is another question that I hear a lot is I want to do X, but I don't have the money for it. When do you really not have the money for it versus I don't want to spend the money on it? Mm, okay. Um, let's see. Are, so let's be more granular with this example because it's really good um, and I have an answer for it. But uh, would you say you hear that more around like things that feel like personal or business development like or or what yeah. do you think? Um, anywhere from like business expenses, because that will make life easier to, um, you know, I really want a personal trainer, but it's not in the budget. But that's, you know, what I really feel drawn to do, but I can't afford it or I shouldn't spend the mm-hmm. money. So what is that? What is the difference between I real shouldn't spend the money because I actually don't have it or how do I view this as an investment type of thing? So the, um, the, it's not, it's not trite. It's real. Uh, but the kind of the short answer is it's never about the money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's never about the money. And unless it's like, I want to buy a $5 million house in, you know, California and you know you currently make a hundred thousand dollars a year yes yes okay that's a little bit you know you're gonna have to make some changes yes. <laughs> in order for that to happen right um, but if we're talking about you know someone I think the personal trainer example is really good right like okay maybe that's going to be four hundred dollars a month to hire a personal trainer and when you think about the way you spend money now it doesn't feel like you consistently could just write an extra $400 check and feel okay about it. A lot of times that's 0% true. And you don't know it until you actually look, you look at the finances. I'm going to go back to the birthday party example, actually. Um, There, you know, when there is just so much abundance on the balance sheet that you that here's here's what typically happens we actually do this thing called um what's it called it, it's it's a it's a form of car- compartmentalizing where you know we we mentally compartmentalize this money is for this thing this money is for this thing and instead of actually mapping it out where you can see it with your eyes rather than just keep it up in your brain when we keep all the compartmentalized money, just like, oh, I think this is for that and this is for that, it tends to spread itself out. And what I what I see like actually in practice is that people have, oh, I have this savings account over here and I have this savings account over here and I have this little account over there and this one over there and this one over there. Literally like 10 or 11 accounts all with like smaller ish dollar amounts. And, you know, this person is feeling like they're saving $25 to all these different places. Their money's going everywhere. I don't have anything to save. I don't have any, anything else that I can spend. And when I look at the situation from like, okay, let's look at this. 
if we pull these 11 accounts together, and again, this is an actual example, mm-hmm. there's $70,000 of cash that you're squirreling away into 11 different accounts and saving these little bits into all these. It's like a squirrel hiding acorns. Yes, it's yes. literally what it's like. <laughs> and I cannot tell you how many times I've seen this and the amounts have been anywhere from 40,000 up to a million dollars in different accounts where people are saying, I don't have any money. And so in that example, it's like, Hey, if we look where everything actually is, where everything's actually going, do you actually understand what you're spending your money on what you're saving your money, where you're saving your money and you know, where it all is and why, why do you have it in so many disparate places? It's so interesting to see the things that come up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's, it can be different, but usually it is this sense of uh, the squirrel, yeah. right? Like, it's just like, it's over here. It's over here. I'm, you're hiding it from yourself. Is some of that, do you think, connected to that? And I don't, if you haven't heard of it, I can go into it a little bit, but that um, upper limit Mm -hmm. issues. So Mm -hmm. just connecting it and saying, you know, telling these stories over and over again that I don't have enough because maybe you didn't have enough before. And now you do, and you're doing all these squirrely, decisions to, you know, hide it away like the nuts um, and and essentially hide it from yourself in, um, you know, a subconscious act of preventing you from, you know, your zone of genius and, you know, really limiting your upper limits. Yes. And so just to explain this, you're talking about um, Gay Hendricks book, The Big Leap. Uh, Oh my gosh. I recommend this book all the time. Um, it's uh, it's so like when the whole first section of the book is talking about upper limit problems and when you're hitting, when the, the signs for you to understand when you're hitting your upper limits and when he got to the piece of deservability, because he (laughs) went through several examples where it's like, no, that doesn't, no, 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 that's not me. And then there was something about Mm self-worth and do you deserve it? And I just immediately started crying. It was like such an emotional, like, oh my God, that's me. Um, I, oh, Okay. I can see it now. I it's so clearly. So yes, this is, this ties exactly in with that. The, the way that I have described this is manufactured scarcity. Yes. Because you are creating the conditions that feel scarce, even when you have plenty. Um, and, and again, it's an awareness, it's a gentle awareness of, you know, there's, there's no reason for me to point it out and be unkind, right. And be like, why are you like, you have all this around, like, like, you know, we could be like mm, the, the typical, way like in the financial world was just like the data right like it's obvious like it's right there and the actual kind way to go about that is to again 
Why? Why is it there? Oh, I noticed. I noticed that you actually have $70,000 of cash around you and you're saving $1,000 a month into a lot of different accounts. That's interesting. Do you know why you're doing that? Oh, I didn't realize I was doing that. Oh, I didn't realize I still had that many things in different places. Talking to the client again, how does that feel? How does that feel to know that you actually have a full cash reserve? If we pull this into one place, your cash reserve goal is already hit. You're already further beyond what you thought you were at. Well, that feels pretty good. That feels really good, actually. I feel like I feel like I'm I'm not behind. Oh my gosh. And now suddenly reprioritizing that money. Hey, since we were talking about getting a personal trainer, right? Reprioritizing. Let's look at that. How much does that cost to take care of your body in the way that feels good to you right now? Costs $400 a month. Oh, well, you don't need to build your cash reserve. So let's reposition some of that money towards taking care of you. Mm -hmm. And it's already there. When you see people um, realize that, you know, this manufactured scarcity is usually the problem and then invest in themselves, do you see an upturn in a financial picture? It's amazing. It's amazing. Um, The thing that I see first is typically... Uh, this like relaxation into the realization, right? And so part of the process is to, um, again, I mean, there's there are some similarities in law and finance, right? Like the discovery process itself, like let's discover everything. Let's find out where everything is and then get it into a place where it makes sense. Like this goes in this personal bucket. This goes in Mm -hmm. this business bucket, you know, and we understand where everything is so much more clearly. And the, the way, you know, over time. So when I, I meet with my clients monthly. um, And so like each month when we do a check-in with their profit and loss statement um, and with their, you know, where their account balances are, That's typically not the bulk of our meetings, but we usually at least like touch on that just to make sure everything is, um, you know, staying in line. It's amazing to see how quickly and easily those, you know, right buckets stay where they're supposed to stay, like the business cash reserve, the business tax savings, the business profit account, the business operating expenses, like look at how beautiful this is and how, you know, and then we check in, how does that feel? That feels amazing. Yeah. I, now I remember we can look straight back and see where it was all wonky before. And now it's been right on pace and that the, the sense of stability that that creates then it's so interesting because then it allows that business owner to really flip into aligning their energy even more deeply. Like I feel stable. Now I can really start honing in how I'm working with my clients, the clients Mm -hmm. that I'm choosing to work with. I can start to like niche even more 
um, more directly so that I am building my business in a way, you know, like continuing to build in a way that feels really good. And so that's typically the progression that I see is that we get everything, you know, into this really, you know, space where it feels good. It feels stable. It feels like I understand where I'm at. And then we have this explosion of growth in how they know they want to serve clients and that's the next phase. And then there's another up level in their in their income, in their revenue, in their finances, once we get that like realign um towards that like true niche that they want to serve. So interesting to see that. When people come to you, um, do you find maybe this is just a misconception, but I think from you know most of the conversations that I've had that people tend to ignore their finances and planning because it's foreign or uncomfortable or something they just don't want to think about. So they just blindly run through life hoping for the best. Yes and no. The The interesting thing is that, again, so since I've, since I have like staked, you know, put my flag in the ground as I work with visionary entrepreneurs, I can speak so strongly to that aspect um, that business owners in general are misunderstood by the financial planning industry. Mm -hmm. And so when you, as a business owner, have gone to a financial planner before and they don't even talk to you about your business at all, and, you know, maybe here's, here's what does typically happen, right? Especially when you're starting a business, most entrepreneurs start it themselves without funding. That ha- That is how, for most people, that's how we start businesses. And what? how do you get the funding for that? A lot of times it comes from your 401k, right? And so lots and lots and lots of entrepreneurs have spent down the, you know, they spent time in corporate, they built up retirement assets, they spent it down to start their business. And now, right there, now when they go to a financial planner, they have less, right? It's not necessarily this like $500,000 million, $2 million account that it might, maybe it used to be, but now it's a lot less than that. And there's this like, almost this feeling of shame or guilt Mm -hmm. that comes up like, I know I should be further along or, you know, there, there are these, again, money stories coming up. And, and instead of understanding that that's what it took for that entrepreneur to build what they built, that, you know, financial advisor is like, oh, uh, well, you know, I don't think you're ever going to be able to retire. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, you, you're going to have to save $5,000 a month in order to do this thing. And, and that entrepreneur is like, well, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. I guess I'll just, I guess I'll just resign myself to work for the rest of my life. Yeah. Rather than understanding that what they're creating and the business that they're building, you know, if we focus on the creativity and the opportunity available to create more, create more revenue, create more income, and then move that out into their personal accounts, 
that is where the power lies in entrepreneurship. It's not in the like today, it's in the fact that if you keep showing up and you keep building your business, you have the opportunity to create massive abundance for yourself and for your employees. If you keep moving in alignment with your genius and then we can, that's how, that's how we do it. We don't do it by like beating them over the head saying you should be saving $5,000 a month or, you know, right. on this what a way to kill the creative process. Right. And so that's, I mean, that's literally the experience that people have had when they've come to me where it's like, I feel like this is going to be okay. Like when I talked to people before, I didn't think it was going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And when I talk to you, I feel like it's going to be okay. Like I can do this Um, because we're looking at a different side. We're looking at the income generation side. We're looking at the revenue generation side rather than what have you saved so far. And, you know, if you're 40, 45 and you don't have a million dollars in the bank already, no, you're not screwed. No, you're not doomed to work your entire life. That's not, that's not the story. We can write a different story. And I like, that's, that's the difference. That's the difference that I see. Mm -hmm. So with these money stories, how do we overcome what we're telling ourselves about um, whatever it might be and to really become aware when it's a money story versus something else? Oh. <sighs> Okay. So if you're talking to me, I can like make it anything of any story. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I say, and I'm kind of joking, but at the same time, money touches every aspect of our lives. And so, you know, when we're spending, when we're, again, when we're spending, when we're saving, when we are paying employees, when we are, um, you know, paying our utility bill, when we're buying groceries, when we're going out to eat, um, when we're paying for school for our children, this is, this is how the majority of humans, especially in the Western world, like move through every single day of our lives. We spend, most of us spend money every single day in some way, shape or form. Um, and there is the, the pieces that, that feel to me most important are awareness first and acceptance second. And when we become aware when we allow ourselves that's the that's like that waking up part is the awareness is when you don't allow yourself right that's that's that story of you go to the store and you buy your child they need a new pair of shoes you buy them two pairs of shoes you also actually need new shoes and you mm, i'm gonna wait i'll do that later that's the point that's the point why did you do that why did you make and not in a, not in a, why did you do that? Yes, yeah. Why did, why did you make that decision? You know, just in a very gentle inquiry type of way. Oh, interesting. What was that about? Well, this, yeah, my shoes like are kind of messed up and I, I need to get them fixed, but they're fine for now. My child needs this more, right? Someone else needs something more than me. So I'm going to put myself on the back burner. Those are the aspects, right? Or it could be it could be a self-care 
issue. It could be taking time off from work. One of the other ones for me that I deal with um, and, and become aware of is when I take time, when I take a day off completely, sometimes I'll start to have like these little wiggly feelings of like, oh, I should be working. Um, and that's not necessarily a money story, but it is tied. It's tied to that same area of self-love and self-worth. And do I deserve to give myself this time of calm and relaxation? Yeah, I do. There's an awareness and there's an acceptance. And so when we become aware and then we accept what's coming through, not make it wrong, um, we are then giving ourselves the opportunity to make a new decision, to try something different. But we can't, we can't make that new decision. We can't try something else. We can't try a new money story on. We can't try a new, you know, yeah. new thing until we are aware of what we're are the patterns that we typically run. Mm-hmm. So with that shoe example, um, you buy the shoes for your kid, but then you you notice that, you know, you want you need new shoes, but you're not feeling comfortable for whatever reason, and you explore that, what's the next step? The next step is not to override and just buy yourself the shoes. That's the thing. That's the, like what we tend to do, right? Like, okay, that's the answer, right? I'm like avoiding it. So I'm just going to barrel through it. The eventual, you know, thing is, yes, you, you will end up buying yourself new shoes. Like, yeah. But instead of having that experience of, you know, I don't really need it, exploring it, sitting with it and asking where it came from and just gentle inquiry. Right. And even if, even if that's like not quite your thing and you'd be like, I don't know how to ask that question, acknowledging, acknowledging the fact that, Hey, Oh, interesting. Interesting. I just had this experience of feeling like I didn't need new shoes when I know that I do really need new shoes. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I'm, I'm going to give that little piece of myself love and I'm going to buy that little piece of me shoes. Do you see how that's like a more gentle, Mm -hmm. a gentle way to lovingly accept that from yourself versus I'm just going to barrel through it and do it anyway. Because then on the other side of that, you have that like, Ooh, that didn't feel good, right? You have that kind of hangover of, ugh, it's still, I pushed through it, but I didn't like it. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you're in that position where you're not able to um, be kind and gentle with yourself, then wait a day, wait Mm -hmm. two days, wait a week until it does feel good to buy the shoes. But when I think when you reflect on it, you can dig down and find those feelings and then accept them. And then you can make that constant conscious decision. Yeah. I need these shoes. I'm going to buy these shoes, but have it feel good. Not a, not something that's difficult or that you're, you're right. You're powering through just to get it done. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Cause you're not, that doesn't, that doesn't bring that incorporation. Mm-hmm back in that doesn't incorporate that part of you that felt unheard and unseen. It still feels unheard and unseen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, now you just like bulldozed it again. 
gentle, gentle, loving acceptance. Yeah. And, and so basically what I'm taking away from all of that is that really the most important thing is, is to have some awareness. So when you have, and I, I think a lot of people do have negative feelings when it comes to money, stop, think about it, acknowledge what's going on, dig a little deeper, maybe don't make any decisions when you're in that place. Mm-hmm. And then wait until some better feelings come along so that you can look at it more clearly, especially when we're talking about making major financial decisions. Right. And that's the that's the most important to me as a financial advisor. That's the most important aspect of what I do is helping people come to financial decisions from a place of empowerment. Mm-hmm. Right. And so there's never, never a time where it's appropriate for me to say, this is what you should do. It is always an approach of here are the options. Here's, here's what we've talked about. Here are the, here are the things that I hear you saying here are from my professional perspective, here are some of the most appropriate options. Let's explore them together. So you can feel educated and you can make up an empowered decision. Mm -hmm. Because when you make the decision, you own it. If you allow someone else to make the decision, you're always going to be like questioning. Mm -hmm. And so there's, you know, there's no, there's no benefit to allowing other people to make decisions for you, right? It's so much more impactful for you to make decisions for yourself from an aligned place, an empowered place. And so working with you to me, this is how I feel, is that it really is giving that um, encouragement and confidence to be able to make these decisions on your own and to understand some sometimes complex, maybe other times not complex um, issues surrounding finances. Mm-hmm. Because I think like with anything, when you're really learning, and there's a process you're looking for some reassurance and you need that reassurance um, until you build up your confidence. Right. Exactly. And there, and there is finances are complicated. Like there is no, this industry wouldn't exist if it was so simple that anyone could understand all the ins and outs. And so that's, that's the space. And that's the space where I feel it's the most impactful too, is that when you have a lot, like a thousand piece puzzle, Right. Business owners have a lot of pieces that we that we need to manage and corral. And so being that that set of eyes that understands the financial aspect of all those thousand puzzle pieces, that's where it's like, hey, here are the important parts. So you can make an empowered financial decision without having to filter through a million pieces of data in order to come to that, that you can really stay in your zone of genius. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's, but that's it. Empowerment, education, encouragement, confidence. That's, that is a hundred percent the, the main goal of working together with a financial advisor that, that will listen and will, will provide that space for you. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for all of your wisdom today. It has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. You too, Catherine. Thank you so much for having me. I just, I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. So that's all for today's show. Thanks for listening. 
If you liked this episode, please rate and review the show to help others find this resource. If you have any questions about your legal career, please head over to thehappylawyer.ca and send me an email through the contact page, or you can send me a message on LinkedIn. I'd be happy to set up a virtual coffee date. You can also head over to the Happy Lawyer Facebook group to interact with your peers and get extra content on how to be a happy lawyer. See you next time.